I'm Joe, one of the pastors here. If you are visiting with us, uh, let me be uh, one of the first people to welcome you into the community here. Uh, we are a family at Chillicothe Bible Church, and we would love to have you become part of the family. And if you're a visitor, uh, welcome, because uh, we want to be the kind of family that Jesus calls us to be. And um, uh, hope that you will plug in to a family event with us uh, here this morning. So uh, the last few weeks, we have been looking at the subject of marriage, and we have talked about how God designed marriage to be uh, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then in chapter 3, we looked at uh, the fall into sin and how that messed up not just marriage, but all of creation and all of us as individuals, and how we're alienated from God and one another and the creation and how God has a plan to one day restore all things to how they should be, but that in the interim between now and then that we live with frustration and problems and difficulty. Amen? And we've looked at then since some of those difficulties that we experience. We've looked at things like conflict and communication and that men and women do not speak even though in this country they both may speak English it is not the same meaning in those two words we are two people very often separated by a common language right and we don't mean the same things when we talk to one another and we so we have difficulty with communication and that can lead to fights and then you have to have a peacemaking process so we looked at how the bible tells us to resolve the conflicts we get into when we can't communicate. And we've looked at finances. Last week, we, uh, when we had Bill in, and I was leading some of our couples on the marriage retreat, we talked about intimacy and romance and these issues and how to uh, deal with those things. And this week, we're going to leave all of that behind and give you a message on singleness. Now, this is not an invitation if you are married to try this out, <laughs> okay? Uh, but if you are single, to uh, have an understanding of what God's Word has to say to you about singleness and the gift of being single. I uh, want to share with you, first of all, just to sort of set the context for where we are by going with you to one verse that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but I want you to nevertheless to see. I learned something this week from Pastor Jim. Um, he has studied a little more of 1 Corinthians under uh, Don Carson, who is one of the best scholars in the world on that book. Uh, and he has done more study on the book than me. And so he said, you know, you need to make sure you point this out. And so I want to make sure to point it out. First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, and this is Paul, and he is going to. First Corinthians seven is Paul's extended discussion about marriage with the Corinthian church, and he says this in verse seven: "I wish that all men were as I am. That's that is single, uh, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now that word gift." You need to underline that because this, it may not stick out to you the way that it should. But every place that it occurs is the same word as is used later in the book and elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about spiritual gifts. 
It's the word charismata, you know, which we normally think of in terms of things like, well, Paul was an apostle, and that was his spiritual gift. And some, God called some people to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And to some, he gave gifts of healing, and speaking in other kinds of tongues, and some gifts of service, and administration, and leadership, and all these different gifts, right? Spiritual gifts. This marriage is a spiritual gift. It's not one that Paul has, but singleness is also a spiritual gift. Now, I don't know what that does if you've taken one of those gift inventories. I've never seen marriage and singleness listed, but they ought to be on there because the whole thing is this. God wants you to use whatever state you happen to fit in, whether you have the gift of being married or the gift of being single and celibate. Whatever it is, it is a spiritual gift from God, which is meant to be used to glorify Him. And that's just context for where we're going. Uh, But you need to see that. Uh, and, And the reason I bring all this up is this, is that very often, I think, in the church, this is what we think of as being the, quote, spiritual life, that Basically, if you are a spiritually mature person, that you are married, you have 2.5 kids, a Toyota Camry for dad, and a minivan for mom, and you go to church regularly, and mom maybe stays home with the kids, and dad goes to work uh, outside the home, and so forth. And that pretty well describes my life with a a few modifications. I have four kids, not 2.5. I have a Nissan pickup instead of a Toyota Camry, but you get the idea, right? And we we tend to present the idea that, that somehow single status is somehow less than being married. In fact, in no church have I ever served in which we had any single men serving as elders. I don't know why that is, But we tend to operate from the assumption that, well, you're not really fully an adult unless you're married and have a couple of kids. And yet Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married. We don't know how many of the other apostles. We know Peter was married. But we we don't think of people having perhaps a spiritual gift from God of being single at a particular time. Uh, So I want to set the context of of that and just say this, that whether you are single or married, both states are a spiritual gift from God and are meant to be used to glorify Him. So now let's jump into our actual text, which is later on in chapter 7. And Paul is going to give you three reasons why you can receive singleness as a good gift from God, a good gift. Now, I don't know uh, if you have ever gotten a bad gift from somebody before. Uh, Once upon a time, I got one year for Christmas from one of my aunts, God love her, a candle. (laughs) Now, it, it, it truly is the thought that counts, amen? But to say I was underwhelmed... (laughs) would be putting it accurately, all right? 
I, I opened this up, and I thought, ooh, it's kind of heavy. Maybe it's a box of 22 shells or something, you know? <laughs> and I opened it up, and it was a candle. And I went, huh, thank you so much. <laughs> it's so thoughtful. I don't know who you were thinking of, but it was so thoughtful, <laughs> right? Uh, but And sometimes I think, if, particularly if you are single and you want to be married, that you think that this is not a good gift. God. This may be a gift God has given me, but it's like I opened this up, or, or when I was in college, we had a white elephant gift exchange, and one of the guys thought it would be hilarious to wrap up a dead possum in a popcorn tin and put that under the tree. Uh, and we kind of open it up, and you go, what were you thinking on this one, you know? And and we kind of think, oh, you know, maybe God gave me the gift of singleness, oh, dead possum, you know. Um, but no, Paul says this is a good gift from God. He's going to give us three reasons why. And the first one is, is that, number one, marriage is not sinful, but it is painful. It is painful, at least at times. So want to want to look with you at... Um, at verse 25 to 28, Paul says this, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, here's the deal on the Corinthian church, and you need to know this also. The Corinthian church was Paul's problem child congregation. They get two letters. Most other congregations only got one, but they get two, and they get two long ones. And it is because... All of the people in Corinth have come out of a radically pagan background. In fact, to be an immoral person was a verb that was, that was this verb, to Corinthianize. To act like a Corinthian is to be an immoral person. Uh, and so they get two letters because all of these people come to faith in Christ out of all of this aggressively pagan background. And so he has to tell them things. Do not get drunk at communion. You would think that would be obvious. Most people would know that, right? Uh, don't visit prostitutes. Again, fairly low-hanging fruit for most people. But he has to write them a couple of letters to tell them things like this. Don't divorce your spouse when you become a Christian. I came to Jesus. My spouse didn't. I'm getting out of this. You know, no, don't do that. He has to tell them that. He has to tell them, uh, you know, don't insist that everybody has to speak in tongues in order to be spiritual. He has to tell them that. Uh, don't... Uh, don't sue your fellow Christians. He has to tell them that. A lot of things that a lot of people would kind of intuitively know, he has to tell the Corinthians. And one of the things they had messed up was the whole idea of marriage. There were some people with, with very much an ascetic bent who were saying, well, only the unspiritual people get married. 
And there are other people who are saying, no, no, it's the really spiritual people who get married. And then there are other people in the middle who are saying, no, it's okay to get married as long as you're celibate within the relationship. Um, no, not okay. And so Paul is writing this long chapter, chapter 7, to give a lot of clarification on all of these issues. And he starts off with, now about virgins. Now, in Paul's mind, this is the only appropriate label for people who are Christians who have never been married. You get what I'm saying? The only appropriate label for an unmarried Christian person is virgin. There is no room, biblically, for a sexually active single Christian. That's like talking to me, you know, a lot of you know that I've been on a diet and lost about 32 pounds, and that's been pretty great. But every now and then somebody will talk to me about something that is low-carb, low, you know, no-sugar, low-fat, and tastes great. Like, well, it's like, no, it's pick any three of those. <laughs> you can't have all of that. And you can't, in Paul's mind, have committed follower of Jesus, non-virgin, single person. Somewhere there's a category error in here. Uh, In his mind, if to be a seriously committed single person who is a follower of Jesus who has never been married is to be a virgin. All right. Uh, And let me also say this. Let me clarify this when he says, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, what he's going to say, he's not setting up a distinction between God's Word and His opinion. What he's saying is, is that there's nothing in teaching of Jesus to go back to on this. You can't turn to a place in the Gospels where Jesus speaks about this. And so he says, but I'm going to give you a judgment as someone who by God's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, this is according to my apostolic authority. I'm an apostle called by God and entrusted with the teaching office in the church, and so I'm going to give you God's word on this under the inspiration of the Spirit. And so he does. He says, he says that it's best to remain in the state that you were in when God called you. God called you as a single person, stay single. If God called you as a married person, stay married. But if you're single and you do get married, you haven't sinned. Marriage is not a sinful state. It's not a lesser state than being single, just as being single is not a lesser state than being married. But what he's saying is this, is that when you get married, you're going to have some unique pressures and difficulties and challenges that you do not have as a single person. I think I mentioned this before. If you're a single man, you can probably pack up everything you own in a bed sheet, just tie up the corners, you know, and you're, you're, you, that's moving. They can, somebody can have a wild party at your house, destroy everything you own, and you're out eight bucks. 
<laughs> you know, because you've got the, the concrete block and one-by-four shelves, you know. You've got the spool for a coffee table, etc. right? You found alongside of a road somewhere. If you're a single guy, that, that works okay. You know, when I was single, I had, I, had a, I had a bench seat that I had bought from a friend of mine for $5 out of the, it was one of these minivan seats I used for a sofa. <laughs> All right? Uh, and when you're a single guy, you can get by with that, and it's no big deal. But when you get married, not only does the furniture change, but life gets more complex, right? It does. Single people, if you don't believe me, ask your parents. They'll tell you. It gets more complicated, and, and you have more difficulty in life. You do. As a single guy, as an example, you can, uh, you can get by fairly well on just a life, a life insurance policy sufficient that if you die, your family can put you in the dirt. If you're a married guy with a couple of kids, you want a, a bigger payout so that your wife can ha- be a rich widow and marry a younger man. <laughs> And you, but that your kids will be well provided for. And, and your wife, like I say, can marry a younger, a younger dude. Um, but you want to be able to do that. You want to have uh, a, a, you know, something uh, above a wall tent with a potbelly stove to live in. Uh, you, you get a more complicated way of living. And it is more difficult. And it comes with relational challenges and pain and heartache sometimes because whenever you're involved in a relationship with somebody in which you actually let them get close to you you're going to have pain amen and paul says in this life you're going to have many troubles and i want to spare you of the of these now let me also say by the way as a married guy my life has gone like this after I got married. It has markedly improved. For one thing, I don't live on beanie weenies out of the can and Easy Mac out of the microwave anymore, right? And on top of that, I have a wonderful wife who has enriched my life in ways that I can't even fully describe. But is it complicated? Yes. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. Is life sometimes easier as a single person? Yes, it is. And Paul says, look, I want to spare you these things. It's a good gift from God to be single. And on top of that, he says, look, time is short. This is the second reason. Look here at verse 29 down to 31. What I mean, brothers, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Uh, One of the greatest things that you could ever know is that in terms of your relationship and walk with God that you do not have all day. This life is short. 
I don't know how many of you have ever gone outside on a cold morning, you know, maybe on those, one of those mornings when you get the first really good hard frost, and you go outside and you do that, and you see your breath go out and disappear. That, in the span of eternity, is how long your life here on this planet is. It is a vapor that is gone. And we do not have all day to serve the Lord. It is only in this life that we have to spend time gaining reward for our service to the King. In eternity, we will worship and we will praise God and we will give Him glory forever and forever. But it is in this life that we are able to serve the Lord in a different kind of a way. And we don't have all day to do this. Uh, and if you've ever met somebody who knows that they are terminal, who is a committed believer in Christ, they know this. And all of a sudden, their mind and their thinking gets very, very clear. Because they have a day that is coming. And they, they may not be able to circle it on the calendar yet, but they know that time is short. And so they're going to get busy because there's only a few days left. Only so many shopping days until Christmas for them. And they are going to make it happen. And so as long as it relates to God and his kingdom, they're aggressive with it. And if it doesn't relate to that, they don't care about it. And Paul is saying that is how we should be because life is short. And this world, as Paul says, verse 31, in its present form is passing away. And one of the most common things that happens, and I've seen it happen over and over and over again, is you get two single people who, independent of one another, are leaning forward, stretching for the tape, running as hard as they can after the things of God. They are sharing the gospel with people. They're memorizing scripture. They're doing their quiet time. They're praying. They're committed. They're going to go on the mission field and serve Jesus until he comes or the natives kill him, one or the other. And they are burnt out to love and serve and dedicate themselves to Jesus. And then they get married. And then all of a sudden, all of that passion and fire and zeal and dedication gets diverted into a mortgage and a weed whacker and a lawnmower and a car repair bill. And their Christian faith becomes very domesticated and a Sunday morning thing. And they have forgotten that time is short and the world in its present form is passing away. And a husband or a wife, as wonderful a blessing as they are, can be a distraction to giving full commitment to the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel in the world. And if you're single, it's easier to give your life to serving God. It's easier. Not to say that it's better or more fun, but it's easier to give your life to serving God. Uh, and then uh, 
the next, the next point that Paul makes here is in verse 32 down to 35. And that is that singleness produces single-mindedness. And that is kind of an outgrowth of what he's talking about in terms of this world is passing away and time is short. He says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, what does this passage mean? Exactly what it says. This is not complicated. This is not a passage on predestination and the divine decree of God. It means exactly what it says. If you're a single guy, you can be very content living in a ratty FEMA trailer eating beans out of the can and Easy Mac and being dedicated in service to God. And you can get by on a couple hundred a month and give everything else that you have, your, all of your energy and money and time to serving God. If you're married, you can't do that. Um. The ratty trailer is not going to cut it anymore. Your wife's going to want a little more variety than Beanie Weenies and Easy Mac. Uh, you're going to have to have transportation, not just for you, but also for her and also for any children that come into the picture. You're going to be buying car seats and diapers and kids' clothes and saving for college and having to have a retirement plan beyond well, when I get old and I, if I drop over dead, they can plant me, but that's it. Um, you know, if I wind up working as a Walmart greeter, so what? That's my retirement plan. But when you get married, you can't think like that anymore. You have to, you have to be a little less single-focused in your devotion to God. You have to Invest time and energy into your spouse, whether you're a man or a woman. You're going to have to build and grow and nurture this relationship that God has given you. You're going to have kids probably to take care of that are going to need raised and going to need taught and going to need a life with God modeled for them. And on top of that are going to need changed and gotten up with in the middle of the night and all of those things in the early part, hopefully that tapers off around teenager. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not there yet. But you're going to have to do a lot of that, and it's going to occupy a lot of your time. And so you're not going to have as much time and as much energy and as much money to devote to the things of God. Being single is a good thing. It allows you to be very single-minded. And you don't have any family entanglements. Um, ladies, same deal applies. You don't have to worry about a man. You don't have to concern yourself with keeping house or raising kids 
or trying to please your husband. Good marriages take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money. But you can devote all of that to serving Christ if you're single. And you can go off and serve anywhere in the world. Hey, they need missionaries in Indonesia. Who wants to go? Well, if you're a married person, you got to go, well, let's see here. Um, got to check my schedule. Got to make sure I can get off work. Um, got to make sure that um, the kids are taken care of while we're gone. Um, got to make sure my life insurance is paid up in case, you know, the plane goes down in the Pacific on the way over there or on the way back or I get food poisoning and die or something else happens to me. If you're, if you're a single person, they won't let you off. Quit. Go on the trip. <laughs> you know, you can do that as a single person. Might be living in a box when you get back, but so what? I'm single. I'll move south. You know, I can stay warm at night. Big deal, right? You can be very single-minded in your devotion to the Lord. And you have more freedom to do that. And it's a good thing. All right, so what's the bottom line? What are we to take away out of this? Let me suggest a couple of things as we close, just a few. If you're married, first of all, and that's most of us, if you're married, how do you view your single friends and single children? Do you view them as deficient, as abnormal, as not quite mature? as you and the other married people you know? And if you think that, that's an unbiblical thought. Because as Paul says, one person has this gift, another person has that one. We're not to look down on one another according to the gifts that we have. Uh, If you're single, are you willing to consider the possibility that God wants you to remain single for the sake of serving Him? Both singleness and marriage are spiritual gifts. And so we need to consider how we are using the spiritual gift we have been given to glorify God. Maybe that's not a thought that has ever occurred to you. You mean my marriage is supposed to glorify God and what I do in it? Really? If that's true, welcome to the party. This is what the Bible has to say about it, that you are are supposed to glorify God in your marriage, and you're supposed to be more effective together because there's two of you to share the load than you would be separate. If you're single, how are you using your singleness to serve the Lord? You know, a lot of single people, they're, they're, they're kind of marking time whole lot of them, waiting for the day when God drops a man or a woman into their life, and then they want to get wonderfully mystical about whether or not they're supposed to marry this person. You know, I don't know if you've ever met any, but every now and then I meet some, and they're, they're going, well, I wonder if this is the one. You know, well, are they a committed follower of Jesus? Yes. Are you? What are you waiting on? Do you love each other? Yes. Okay. Is she like you? Yeah. 
All right, well then, you're not going to probably get, you know, the heavens crack open, a dove come down, and a voice from heaven that says, marry her, my son. That's not going to happen, okay? But if you want to get married, get married. It's not a sin. You can do that. But in the interim, you're not to wait on this to happen as if this is like the next defining event in your life, and I'll just wait around for this to occur, and then my life can start. No. If you're single, use that time. To serve the Lord with single-minded devotion. And consider the possibility that you might be supposed to stay single. And you don't want to waste any years waiting around on somebody that God is not intending to provide for you. Because he wants you to remain single so you can serve him better. Last one, and this is for all of us. Time is short. Time is short. Don't spend your life worrying or crying or seeking your own way. Because this life is short. Before you know it, your life will be over. As I look back over my life, I'm 37 now, and that's younger than some and older than others. But what I notice about my life is this, that some of the individual days feel really long. But the years pass quicker and quicker. You know, when you're, when you're five years old, you know, it seems like your birthday and Christmas and Easter will never get here. You know, these celebrations that you have, you know. You know, the, the gap between Halloween and Christmas is an eternity when you're, you know, when you're five. Halloween was three weeks ago, and we're all kind of going, yeah, Christmas is around the corner. And because time seems like it goes so much faster, and it seems like it gains speed the older you get. Time is short, and we don't have all day. Single. Married, young person, old person, we don't have all day. This world in its present form is passing away. And there are three things that will go into eternity. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. That's it. Everything else, everything else will disappear. Peter says the elements will melt with intense heat and the heavens will disappear with a roar. Boom! Be gone. Everything in this world will disappear except for you and I and God and His Word. And we will stand before Him either as his children being welcomed into his kingdom or as those who are condemned and shut out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the meantime, we have as children of God the privilege of going into all the world and expanding the borders of the kingdom as advanced scouts 
taking ground for the kingdom of God. And we can go to places like Indonesia, which, by the way, there is a trip coming. See Rick, Rosetto, see Cindy, if you want to go. You can go there and advance the kingdom of God. You can sacrifice your money and your time and your energy to advance the kingdom of God here or in local ministries here in town or in national ministries across the, the country and across the globe. But we do not have all day to do this. The world in its present form is passing away and dawn is coming of the new day, of the new kingdom in which you and I will reign forever with Jesus. But between now and then, we have an opportunity to serve God and we want to give it all of our energy. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank